before I get into this week, what we're talking about, um, have you guys ever watched Star Trek? Uh, okay. Do you have a Star Trek t-shirt? Do you love Star Trek? Um, so listen, I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about the 2013, whatever, that movie. I'm talking about 1966. Okay. That, thank you, Dave. So growing up, Dave, this is not supposed to be an insult. This is about my dad, and I just, just know I, I love you, and Star Trek's awesome. But growing up, I remember my dad telling me that, that he loved watching Star Trek, and it would come on these really random channels, and uh, I remember watching uh, Star Trek and just being like, Dad, what did you watch growing up? Like, everyone's in space. And I didn't, I saw like one episode, but when, the episode I saw, it was a bunch of space people with like elf ears, and they just like quietly talked the whole time. That's how it felt to me. I was like, what's happening? What are they talking about? Why are we watching this really simple show in space? I was like, Dad, man, this stuff is so old, man. Like, golly, you're, this is old. And my dad would be like, it's not that old, son. Like, I'm like, yeah, okay, it totally is. And have you ever felt that with your parents? You're just like, golly, the stuff you like is so old school, right? And they, and they don't feel like it is that old school. Why? Because it, it was a part of their teenage years. It, it feels new to them. It feels like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't matter. But it feels uh, more recent than it does to me, right? Because I wasn't even alive for it. Well, the other day, I had a really humbling conversation. You don't know that this was humbling, but it was with you. Uh, Leah, my wife, <laughs> that's my fault for real. <laughs> that's not cool. Uh, Leah, my wife, we were just talking about some of our favorite movies and, and what movies like made us cry growing up. We were reading this book and anyway. Um, and so we started exchanging, like what movies really impacted you? And I was like, man, one of my favorite movies of all time is this movie called Hardball. I don't know if you know what that movie is, but it features Keanu Reeves, that was unexpected, I bet, for you all, but he's in it. And, uh, and then this, like, inner-city Chicago baseball team. And it's this really rich story. And if you've seen Hardball, you already know R.I.P. G-Baby. Does anybody know G-Baby? Yes. Th thank you. Not anybody else? Okay, anyway. Um, but I remember telling her, like, man, that movie just compelled me. I remember bawling at, like, 11 years old. Like, this is so good, so sad, so sweet, all the things. And she was like, hey, wh when did that come out? And I was like, gosh, I guess, like, 2004? She was like, that's pretty old. I was like, no, it's not. That's not old. And I started thinking, and I was like, yeah, it is. Then I Googled it. It came out in 2001. My favorite movie came out 20 years ago. That's a problem, right? Like, and I realized in that moment, I got my dad's perspective. I was like, oh, this is what he thinks Star Trek is. What I think hardball is, he thinks Star Trek is that, right? Because what happens? As time goes on, we just gain a different perspective, right? We have a different view on time as we get older, right? The things that we think are ancient as kids, we grow up and we tend to think they're not that ancient. That's kind of how it works, right? And today I want to talk about time and eternity and perspective and God and what it means that God is, fill in the blank, eternal and what that means about the perspective God has on the world and what it means for us as followers of Jesus and the perspective we walk in, understanding that God has always been, all right? So that's kind of the conversation for today. And I wanna have a little caveat because this whole week I've been stifled. I love getting like meta and philosophical and, and thinking big picture and, and God being forever and the cosmos and blah. Nah, whatever, nah, you know, you guys ever make that noise? And, and I, I, uh, 
I love that. But this whole week, I've just kind of been stifled like, I don't stand a shot at talking about God's eternal nature. You ever thought about eternity and wanted to like throw up? And been like, I'm never, ever thinking about eternity again, <laughs> right? That's how I felt all week, so welcome. <laughs> but, but as I thought about it, God, I think, reminded me of a passage in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 1. You don't have to turn there, this is brief, but Paul says something really important. This, this guy that is a follower of Jesus, he's really smart, he's got a ton of knowledge, but he's talking to the people of Corinth, and they're really smart too. They love philosophy. They love to think big. But here's what Paul says. When I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your, you ready? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I think that is really appropriate for today. This conversation, eternity within it, is it impossible to talk about with the wisdom of men alone. It doesn't work because no man understands eternity. So from the beginning, I had to almost switch my goal. I accidentally came into this week going, I can't wait to intellectually stimulate Hillsborough Village. I can't wait to blow their minds, to convince them of how sick it is that God's been around forever. And as I tried to get there, I immediately realized why did I think I could do that, right? Why did I think I could explain eternity? And everyone would be like, oh, that's what eternity is. God's awesome, you know? Like, no, we need the Spirit. This conversation starts and ends with the Holy Spirit helping us understand what we cannot on our own. And so that's my caveat. That's my, I'm switching the goal. I'm gonna try my best to not uh, intellectually like get you on my side. I, I hope the Holy Spirit can just help lead us in a conversation that is in a lot of ways beyond our human brains. Does that make sense? All right. Um, okay. Let me, slip, let me flip my page. Got around, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So now you can turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. And so I'm going to first start here, and I'm just going to remind us of what our anchor passage is through the series. And by the way, if you didn't hear Gentry, we've got Bibles on all four corners, in all four corners of the room. If you need a Bible, um, use it. You can get up right now and get one. If you want to take it home with you, please feel free. But our anchor passage through the whole series is Exodus 34, verses six through seven. I still hear pages, so I'm gonna wait. It says, the Lord passed before him, and it's referring to this guy named Moses. And the Lord proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, just a little bit of context here, what's happening in Exodus 34 and why this is already so beautiful before we even really dig into it. The Israelites had just been delivered from slavery, and Moses 
had just gathered the Ten Commandments of God. So I'm, I'm sure we're all somewhat familiar with the Ten Commandments. So Moses goes up on a mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments, huge. And Moses comes back down, and who can remember what the Israelites are doing? Yeah, they're worshiping an idol. So Moses was gone for several days, and that was long enough for the Israelites to go from, thank you for delivering us from slavery, to, nah, never mind, right? Like, that, that's how fast it happened. So Moses, out of anger, throws the tablets. He breaks the Ten Commandments, which seemed like an overreaction. I get he's disappointed, but like, God wrote in stone, and you're just gonna throw those things? It's, you know, it's kind of immature. But anyway, he does it. He's mad. So then he goes back up the mountain to God. And this is what God says. So from God's perspective, he delivers the Israelite people. They ignore, neglect him. And then God says, this is who I am, all right? I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger. I don't know about you, that gets more rich when I understand what had just happened was the whole nation of Israel had forsaken what God had just done. And then God says, here's who I am to that people group right now. Here is my instant reaction to Israel's disobedience, okay? I am gracious. I am slow to anger. I am steadfast in love. But I want to notice for a little bit, God starts his conversation with saying, the Lord, the Lord, which sounds redundant. Who starts a sentence like that? God does. Probably important, right? If your Bible has that word Lord in all caps, what it's pointing to um, is different than how we understand just like the word Lord is like our savior and our, our leader and someone we submit to. It's, it's actually referring to this word Yahweh, right? And maybe you've heard this word, but God is actually naming himself Yahweh. So in the same way that I'd say, hey, my name's Josh, God's saying, I'm Yahweh. That's my name, right? Caveat, real quick, important side note. We sometimes talk about God in a way that makes him not personal. He's the Lord. But that's not the Leah or the wife. That's Leah, right? And God is going, if you want to know my name, it's Yahweh. That's my name. It's personal. It's close. And what that name means is I am who I am. Or I will be who I will be. Okay? It's got this like permanence to it. And now, to understand why this is so rich, I actually want to jump back again. And just FYI, I'm going to go through a few passages. If you're like, thumbs are on fire turning, you can chill. I'll just read it out loud. We'll be all right. Um, but now I want to take us to Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, where Moses had his first ever meet and greet with God himself, okay? Because this is, Exodus 34 is not the first time Moses and God talk. It actually happens in Exodus chapter 3. And so in this passage, by the way, are you guys with me right now? We're gonna be, we're gonna, we're gonna do some digging, by the way. I didn't even preface very well. We're gonna dig for a little bit. So stick with me, dig in, take notes, write it down, write down any questions you have, okay? Um, so Exodus 3, so context. Moses is an Israelite who grew up in Egypt while the Israelites were enslaved. So that sounds kind of trippy, but Moses was actually raised by Egyptians through kind of a miraculous story. Well, he ends up discovering his true identity as an Israelite, and it freaks him out. He's like, wait. I'm the guy, I'm one of them, I'm one of the slaves. My people are enslaved, I'm not Egyptian. Like, it's a big identity cry, and he flees, he runs. He's like, I can't handle this like epiphany, right? And so his goal is just to retire in the country and, and to forget Egypt and Israel. But one day, he's walking around and he sees a bush that is on fire. 
but the bush isn't burning, right? It's on fire, but it's not disintegrating. And so naturally, he's like, that is super interesting. Usually things burn when they're on fire. This bush is not doing that. What's up? And once God sees that he has Moses' attention, in verse 8, God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So immediately in this first encounter with Moses, God is letting Moses know, the one who is speaking to you was around way before you showed up, right? Like in the same way I wasn't around when 1966 Star Trek happened, he's going, hey, Moses, you weren't around when Abraham was around, I was. So right off the bat, in his intro to Moses, he's going, you need to know something about me. I've been around, I've been here. Way before you showed up, I know the people that you have reverence toward. Moses would have known Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, rich names, patriarch, like big deal names. And God's going, I know them. I know who they are. And then God's going to go on to tell Moses, he's sending Moses to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. And when Moses hears that he's being sent back to his home, but not for the sake of the Egyptians, but for the Israelites, he goes, God, if, if I show up to the Pharaoh and say, hey, I know you've got this whole 400 years of like, Israelites being enslaved, can you let them go? Is that cool? Like, I'm actually, let them go, right? He's going, God, Pharaoh's gonna wonder um, who sent me and why I think I can ask this kind of request, that he would undo uh, uh, all the, the centuries of slavery. And so he goes, God, when he asks, whose authority, <laughs> like, who sent me? What do I tell them? They're gonna ask what your name is because there's a lot of gods and they're gonna know, hey, what God is telling you that I gotta release all these people that I'm forcing to do my labor for me? I, there's no shot, right? So who's, who do I say I'm representing? Who is it? Here's God's response in verse 14. Tell them, I am who I am. This is the first person version of Yahweh. What God's communi communicating about himself here is that his name means he has been, he is, and he always will be. That the God who is always is. It's like no wonder he knew Abraham. He's been around forever. Psalm 90 verse two says this. God is everlasting to everlasting. And within that name, Yahweh, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. It reeks of eternity, of unchanging nature. He has always and always will. All right, we're staying pretty meta here, okay? Here's how A.W. Tozer rewords Psalm 90, verse two. That God has been from vanishing point to vanishing point, okay? Stick with me in the meta waters. In other words, Star Trek is old to me because it goes past my vanishing point in the past. We all have a vanishing point that our memory can reach. Usually it's like, by the time we're three years old, we have no memories. It's like, okay, I don't know what happened before then, I just know at one point I was five, and that's me. I'm, I'm, I was five and that's my life, right? Like we don't even remember being born or all that stuff. And that's what this is referencing. Like that moment where you go, I can't remember anything before that. That's the vanishing point of the past. And God's going, I'm there, fully present in that vanishing point, I'm there. And in the same way, the vanishing point of the future, that's that nauseous feeling that you get when you think about forever. You try to take your brain to three, year 3045 and you're like, I don't, I don't even know, 
And, and when you think about eternity, you're like, I can't get there. Psalm 90 verse two says, God is fully present there. And he's not nauseous, <laughs> he's just there. So from vanishing point to the past, vanishing point in the future, God is fully present. So built into the name Yahweh is this reality. There is no start and no end to God. So whether you believe the earth is 6,000 years old or 6 million years old, in the grand scheme of eternity, the earth's existence is the teeniest, it doesn't even get on the radar of eternity, no matter how long you think we've been here, right? So this is a big, big conversation here. Now, why does this matter? All right, this is crucial because if this is true, it means that God, by the way, forgive me, I'm gonna keep looking at my notes. There's a lot of stuff I wanna say and I just, I'm scared I'm gonna forget it, so I apologize. But this is crucial because if it's true, it means that God has the greatest perspective and awareness on anything we could ever bring to him. He has the perspective of the past, present, and future readily available in all of his infinite wisdom. He sees it all, right? James 1 says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. Why? Because God's God. He's been around forever. He kind of fits that old person stereotype, right? Like in the ideal world, we'll all turn 70, have been through so much life, we'll sit in a rocking chair and talk to our grandkids about what is and isn't important. When they're anxious about their test or their girlfriend breaking up with them, we're like, hey, let me just speak for my 70-year-old wisdom. Here's what you need to know. You know that proverbial old person? Does anyone else have that old person in their head? I know all old people aren't wise. We all have Facebook, we know that. Um, it's crazy. Okay, don't let me forget that joke. I didn't have that written. Um, okay, that was really good. Um, but but I, I, so we know that's not always true, but I've met, I don't know if you've ever met like old people where they're just still peaceful. It's like, why? They've been through so much. They've seen so much. They've gotten better and better at knowing what is worth being anxious about, what is worth getting torn up about, what's worth being worried about, what's worth losing sleep over, right? They've got this wisdom, and God is that person times eternity. He's got that kind of perspective. This means that God sees your life through the most holistic lens available. He's constantly viewing existence with the infinite past and infinite future in mind. Flip page. And this perspective is only available to God himself. You will never gain access to this wisdom, to this kind of perspective. At best, we get 100 years of perspective. At best, and that, even that's probably a stretch, right? But God has eternal perspective. This also means that everything we learn about God's character is everlasting, unchanging. And write this, maybe write this down. If God ever was something, he is still that something, okay? Whatever God was, he still is, and he will always be. His character is everlasting. His character will always be what it is, Everything we learn about him is always true. In the best of time, in the worst of time, you can rely on God to be who he says he is. This is tricky because we get this nowhere else. This is why on Wednesday at 9 a.m. you go, hey, we still on for 10 a.m.? I know I've already confirmed seven times, but I also know how you are. You still coming? Anyone have those friends? Anyone have that angst? Like, yeah, they confirmed six times. I don't know, though. I don't know if we're going to hang out, right? Because that's just kind of the world we live in. 
This is why you've had six DTRs with your significant other because she's so up and down or he's so like hard to read. And like, hey, just making sure you like me, right? Like we're cool, right? Right, because it's hard. People, they change. They move around. God does not do this. These human experiences do not apply to God. He does not change. Psalm 46, verse one. God, you're my refuge and strength and an ever-present help. A consistent, nonstop, same help. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, you're the same. Rich stuff here. And this story, this idea, this doesn't just stick in the Old Testament. This stretches easily to the New Testament. And so we're going to talk about Jesus for a little bit. Let's talk about Jesus, okay? So first, we need to understand Jesus here. Jesus was an Israelite. Do we know that? He was an Israelite, just like Moses, just like Abraham. That's him. Jesus preached Exodus 34, He preached that passage. He knew that passage. Jesus memorized Psalm 90. These kinds of conversations were his jam, but it goes farther beyond that because Jesus doesn't only believe this about God. He's gonna make some claims about himself that connect him with this Yahweh we've been introduced to in Exodus. So I wanna invite you to turn to John chapter eight. And listen, I could spend a whole day on this and I wouldn't get the richness of it. I'm going at hyperspeed through some really rich content. So take this with you this week. There's no way I'm gonna cover just the, the punch of John chapter eight, it's, it's gorgeous. So in John chapter eight, I have to turn there. Jesus is in a predicament with no one else than the, uh, the religious leaders. And if you know the gospels at all, if Jesus is ever in a predicament, it is always with the religious leaders, okay? Um, so he's in a predicament because um, he's always in a predicament with people who think they know, they know more about God than Jesus does. Okay? A lot of people came to Jesus going, no, we know more about God than you. Okay? And Jesus often, if not always, sets them straight. Jesus says, whoever hears my words will never see death. So right off the bat, what do we get? Eternity. Jesus, boldly going, if you hear my words, if you receive me, you'll never see death. Like you will live forever. And the leaders hear this, they hate it. They basically say, our greatest leaders to ever live, like Abraham, they died, Jesus. And this is their whole faith. I mean, their whole faith is like the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob. But all those guys died. (laughs) They, They passed away, right? And they're going, wait a minute. Who do you think you are? How are you gonna act like you're better than Abraham? Like, just because we're around you, we get to live forever. That's really arrogant, Jesus, right? They're tore up. If you think you're offended when someone says, nah, LeBron's better than MJ, he's officially passed him, and you think you get offended at that, multiply that by eternity, okay? Like, that's what's happening. They're like, you saying you're better than Abraham? That's the goat. Abraham's the goat, uncontested. It's not close, no comparison. Like, that's, that's the patriarch, that's the big guy, right? Anyway, I didn't know if that was a good example. I'll cross that one out. Um, all right, um, but Jesus responds. So this is Jesus' retort. This is one of the biggest This is maybe the biggest flex of all time, right here. He says in response, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, if you didn't grow up in Judaism, you're like, that was a weird way to end a sentence. What do you mean, I am? Like, what are you even saying? But we just read Exodus 3, right? So we understand. He's pointing to that word Yahweh, the name of God. 
Jesus just called himself Yahweh. We're already aware that he did that on some level. Picture being a religious leader who knows Yahweh, a name that's really not even to be spoken. There's such reverence and fear and respect of that name. And then Jesus just out of nowhere blindsides religious leaders and goes, I'm him. I'm Exodus 34. I'm the burning bush. I'm the Red Sea parting. That was me. The Ten Commandments in stone both times I was there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fourth person shows up in the furnace. Who was it that I was there? I am Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. This was earth-shattering. With this, with this detail about Jesus, Jesus leaves us with no, no possible chance at making him a guru or a life coach or a spiritual encourager. He's making it impossible to refer to him in that way. If you know anyone that wants to make Jesus just a helpful life coach, point John 8 out. Jesus is saying he's Yahweh. He's God. And I'm sure you've heard the, the Christian argument. He was either a liar, a, do you remember? A lunatic, or he was Lord. That's kind of your three options. Because to make him just an inspirational teacher, but not the savior of the world, not Yahweh, means he was a liar. And who wants a liar to be an inspirational teacher? That's a crazy person. Someone that says they're God um, probably just shouldn't be your life coach if you don't think they're God, right? Like, Jesus is leaving no wiggle room. I'm Yahweh. That's me. And I don't know how you view Jesus and how you view God in the Old Testament, but I want you to know, Jesus saw 0% disconnect with the Old Testament. There was, there was no old new. Like, it's, an, it's one story, and Jesus is going, I'm not different than Exodus 34. I'm not different than the God of the Israelites. I'm him. It's still me. I am Yahweh incarnate, Yahweh in the flesh. So God is eternal, and Jesus is God. So I don't know if this is, is this hitting any, is this stirring? Like, do, you, do you feel the power of what Jesus just did? It's a, he's rooting himself with the God that always has been. But what do we do with this? Okay, because like, that's really like heady and whatever. Well, I want to jump now to Genesis chapter one. And I want to connect dots for us. Because I think there's this thing imprinted on our hearts that Jesus is trying to tap into. Genesis one, God says, let us make man in our own image. Right? He says, I'm going to make man like me. And so that begs the question, if God is eternal, what does that mean for us? Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart. Yeah, that's big. This verse taps into that instinct. Something about death is strange and unwelcomed, and we all feel it. Even just the most confident, strong of people, I'm sure, at the end of the, sometimes have that moment where they're like, what the heck is death about? What happens? Something about it is unsettling. It doesn't feel right, right? Like, I don't want to die. And I love that some people are like, no, heaven's so good. Like, oh, after this life is over, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, ah, something about me still is just like, I'm cool not dying, though. Like, I really just, I'm really cool not dying. 
That sounds cool to me, right? That's kind of on our hearts. Something's uncomfortable about it. Guys, I'm stealing an example from Aaron, campus pastor at, at Cannery. He was telling me about this insane story. Have you guys heard of Altos Labs? Does anyone know what I just said? Okay. Jalen, of course, you, yeah, you're smarter than me. It makes sense. Um, all right. So, um, so apparently, Aaron told me this. I didn't Google it. This is a dangerous preacher thing to do. So check me on this. Condemn me if I'm lying to you, all right? Not condemn me. Gosh, I'm so strong. So Altos Labs is a scientific research center that billionaires like Jeff Bezos are investing in. Guys, I'm about to blow my mind and hopefully yours. They actually think they can reverse engineer cell growth so that cells can become younger as they, quote unquote, age they age in reverse. Benjamin Button. Did anyone see Benjamin Button? What a weird, strange movie. Um, and cool in some ways. Um, and they've actually begun experimenting on mice. By the way, shout out mice. Don't they get the br- I mean, dude, <laughs> tough. How's this shampoo? I don't know. Put it on a mouse. Let's see how that goes. You know? <laughs> it's so weird. Um, anyway, so some grew. I'm not saying I disagree or agree. I just think it's strange. So on these mice, some grew tumors and died. So anyone that just pulled out their Amazon app and was like, never die pill that I can take. It's not ready yet. But some mice showed signs of growing younger. They've seen little tiny signs, apparently, again, go check me on this, that it might be possible, I don't know. But something's telling them if we keep throwing mega, if you ever wonder what Bezos is spending his money on, this is one of those things, living forever, right? And I think about like billionaires and getting that perspective. I mean, if you're a billionaire, you got everything you want, don't you? Like, what do you not have? You can buy whatever you want. And even in that, even in that world where everything is at the, just in your hands, there's still this instinct. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't wanna die though. I, I want to live forever. That's what I want. I mean, when Aaron shared that story with me, I'll be honest, I had this, I caught my, I kind of iced myself. I was like, man, I hope that works out. I was like, wait, what do I think about heaven? What do I think about life after death? Do I want to live forever on earth? Isn't that kind of contrary? You, know, you feel these like, oh, something about that feels right. It'd be awesome if we found a way to get younger as time went by. Wow. Other than overpopulating the earth like crazy. Um, anyway, but we feel this instinct and that instinct in you that goes, it wouldn't be the worst thing if we figured out how to get younger. I wouldn't mind not going, growing to be 80 and then slowly passing away. Like, I wouldn't mind staying young. I would say that instinct is just being misdirected. That instinct is a healthy instinct. You're supposed to go, I wanna live forever. That's God's fingerprint on your soul. And he goes, you will, with the I am. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And God's invitation in the scriptures is come, come and see, come and gain the life that you're hungry for. It won't happen by reverse engineering cell growth. It'll happen by the salvation in Jesus alone. That's how you get to feed. You get to feed that eternal appetite in yourself. So when we believe God is eternal and has imprinted eternity in our hearts, the emphasis really here is on belief, not intellectual understanding. This is a belief conversation. Do we believe that God really is forever? 
And if so, how does that begin to shape our life? And this is where I kept getting stifled because my whole goal in teaching is to give some big concept to tell a really, hopefully a powerful story, but then to go, hey, don't be observers of this, be participants in this. That's where it all takes hold. But with eternity, it's hard. I don't know a three-step plan for how you can begin walking with eternity in mind. I have no idea. And I was reminded this week, we need the Holy Spirit here. Christians, eternity is a staple of the Christian faith. Rooting our hope in the eternal nature of heaven and God and life with God forever, that is crucial to the Christian faith. And yet, how many of us are living and walking with that crucial detail in mind? Like, just go there with me. What happens if you actually believe God's forever and heaven is real and this life is temporary? What happens when you really believe it? And if you're like me, I don't even fully know the answer because I think most of the time I'm living not believing it. And I think today, more than, here's four things you can try this week. Today is a, how do we sit with the Lord? You know, God, do I believe this? And if not, will you help me believe it? And as we learn to believe in the eternal nature of God and a God that doesn't just live forever but invites us into that eternity, I had three things that I, I think it will impact, but I'm not gonna explain too much because I, I don't wanna get too practical with this conversation if that makes sense. But just three things. I wonder if you believe how God is eternal, how would this shape your perspective? I mean, just have a thought exercise sometime this week. If I really thought God was forever and that I'm invited into that same forever, how does that shape my perspective on the world? What's worth doing, what's not worth doing? What's worth anxiety, what's not worth anxiety? What's worth my concern? What's not worth my concern? What would it do to your perspective if you rooted yourself in what the scriptures say is absolutely true, that God is forever and life does not end on earth, right? Gosh, I, yeah, it's, it's pretty meta, isn't it? All right, keep coming with me, keep trying. Keep trying to get here, this is huge. I'm like, this is like the, one of the core DNA pieces of scripture, and yet we live so ignorant to it. What would happen if we really lived with this perspective in mind? Second, what wisdom would come with this perspective? What wisdom is still on the table for us that's just waiting for us to believe that God is forever? He is the eternal God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is inviting us to walk with that God. What would change in our wisdom, how we see the world, the decisions we make. And then third, the word courage. Y'all, sometimes I think the courage we lack, the boldness we lack, is rooted in this disbelief that all of it really has eternal implications, right? Like, evangelism's awkward. Talking to people about Jesus is awkward if heaven's not real. Like, of course. When you really, like take yourself there, just pretend in your head. If you believe in eternity, for real, if you believe the soul actually lives forever, as the scriptures clearly state, how does that shift how you see talking about Jesus? It's not even close. Think about the things that stop you from living boldly into your faith. Think about the things that stop you from loving your neighbor. Think about the things that stop you from going to groups of people that aren't like you. Whatever those things are, I promise you, eternity is nowhere near that perspective. It's nowhere close. When eternity is in your perspective, when you know there's a life to come that is far more permanent than this one, 
does it not cultivate courage for people you love and care about, for people you don't even know? Because you know if eternity is true for your soul, it's true for theirs. And I just wonder what would change if the Holy Spirit would do a work in us and root us in this perspective of God's eternal nature. I think there's a lot on the table. So usually this is the part where I get really practical and I go, okay, here's what I want you to think about for a little bit. And here's what I want you to plan. Um, but today, I, I really, I just feel like we need the Spirit to help us believe this, uh, to do the work of rooting us in this. Um, and if I keep talking, you're gonna keep looking at me with blank stares and feeling a little sleepy because it's raining. Um, and so this is your time. I'm gonna invite us into just a little time of prayer. For like five minutes, we'll play some house music. And look, it's cloudy and sleepy, so if you need to stand up or, you know, drum on your knees or something, I don't know, wake yourself up. And I really want you to pray to God. And not with the goal of understanding, not with the goal of accomplishing uh, understanding eternity with God. Uh, that probably won't happen in the next five minutes, uh, maybe not even in this lifetime, right? Um, but I want you to have a few minutes of silence. And if you're willing, I want you to ask God, God, why is this important? Seriously. I hear what Josh said, kind of, but seriously, why, why does this matter? Because I can't convince you of that. I think you have to come, I think you have to get there on your own. You have to let the Spirit cultivate that in your soul. I can't make you believe in eternity. I can't make me believe in eternity. I need the Holy Spirit to cultivate it. So for the next few minutes, ask God, show me why this is important. Ask him if there's anything he wants to teach you regarding his character. Ask him for heavenly wisdom that can't be accomplished through human intellectual endeavors. Often these kinds of conversations are stifling because of the intellectual side. Let's lean into Holy Spirit. God, what? Mm, lean into the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, because either I'm not funny or we're all tired. Um, all right. I think it's both, sadly, which is a deadly combination for someone like me that likes to make people laugh. Um, all right. So ask God why this matters. And if you don't do anything with this time, you might get bored and that's okay. But if you choose, pray and reflect with the Lord. And maybe you're not even a believer in Jesus and I would just invite you to reach out. God, is this true? Is the reason that death is unsettling because you have put that in my soul? Maybe today is your first time to like actually cry out to the Lord and go, God, will you please teach me if this is real? Teach me if this matters. Show me why this is important, God, please. I can't get there on my own. Nothing makes you feel more helpless than trying to understand things like these. Lean into the Lord. And then after this time, you have communion at your chair. And if you, if you wanna take communion, you can do that on your own. And then after you pray and take communion, um, I'll lead us in about five minutes. I'm gonna read a passage over us and pray and then we'll, we'll go into worship, okay? So um, I know this is weird for some because I'm about to just stop talking and then just go, hey, you guys do something. And that can be weird for some at church. You don't expect that kind of handoff, but we're gonna do it pretty much every week. And so um, I'm handing it off. I invite you to actively talk to the Lord right now. If journaling helps your mind, pull out your phone or a pen and paper if walking around helps, if standing on the porch and hearing the rainfall helps, I just want you to go be with the Lord and just ask him, is there anything you have, is there anything you wanna teach me here? Is there anything you wanna enrich in my soul with eternity in mind that you're always, you always have been, you are and you always will be, all right? And so I gotta be quiet, I'm gonna be quiet. Pray, talk to the Lord in about five minutes, I'll keep time, I'll come back up and, and we'll go to worship. All right, look, I gave you five minutes to pray about eternity, so 
inevitably a little short. Um, hey, thank y'all for, for those that leaned in, for, for everybody, but if you leaned in and, and just tried, this is a, I just think this, is the, this might be the most humbling and difficult conversation, at least for me. I've had many nights with tears in my eyes. See, I'm starting to, yeah, so I'm t- here comes what I said, I told you. I might, I, so hold on, I might cry. Just as a pastor, I want you to know I've spent many nights crying in my bedroom, trying to figure out what this is all about. And, and, and like, how does this work, God? I don't understand, I don't understand. Like, so if anyone's here going, <laughs> I'm checked out, I don't know how this works, I just want you to know I have had angry nights, sad nights, joy-filled nights, trying to wrap my mind around, why are we here, what is going on? I went on Google and tried to search all the different ideas and thoughts about eternity, and I'm just wanna let you know, we are all joined collectively as one in that we don't know what the heck is going on with eternity. And of course, I'm putting my whole soul into this being the answer, that God is real and that that longing for eternity is from him. But if you think that the primary way you're gonna live as a follower of Jesus with eternity in mind is gonna be because of some intellectual hurdle, I think it will fail you. I think it's failed every man ever (laughs) to ever exist to try to intellectually wrap their mind around eternity. And so with that, I wanna read Ephesians 3. Paul again, this guy, talking about eternity again. (laughs) I don't even know what that joke is. He's great. Uh, I love Paul. Um, But I want to read this, and uh, I want you to hear what... Paul is a very smart guy. He knows multiple languages. He's memorized the law. He knows stuff. He's very smart. This is what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus... That's beautiful, by the way. Just... mm. On behalf of the Gentiles, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, don't worry, don't worry. Um, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul goes, everything that I'm saying was given by the Spirit, Paul, the guy that has all the credentials, multiple PhDs, all the knowledge, chooses to not go the Pharisee route where all their hope is in what they know. He goes the Holy Spirit route where he goes all of that stuff just burns to ash immediately when the Holy Spirit comes in and actually does something. The Holy Spirit cements it. And so this word is not a try really hard to understand it word. This is a go to God, wrestle with him, contemplate, ask him open-handedly, what does it mean that you're forever? And he will turn your fear, your anxiousness, I believe, over, over time, whether it's in one night or 100 years, that's too long, 15 years, he will turn that despair that you can feel trying to contemplate that into hope, into, wait, you're kidding me. This isn't it. Oh my goodness, heaven's real. He will grow us in that, but I believe it'll only come by the Spirit. So I'm gonna pray, and then worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. Thank you guys so much. Shout out to our worship team. Uh, Andrew, Amanda, amazing. That's the second time I've blown a kiss today. Um, and I want, heck, yeah. All right, let me pray over you guys. Let me pray over me. 
Lord, um, I understand the conversation we just had. I'm looking across the room. I see the rain and the tired and the, and the meta and the, this isn't like the most like ambitious, like exciting revival sermon, but it is so true, God. It's so true of what you say of yourself. Oh, Lord, forgive us where you say things about you and we pick and choose which ones to give our lives to. And we love, love your neighbor, but man, forever, rooting our hope in eternity, oof. Lord, help your church, help the ruby root themselves so deeply and firmly in eternity. God, we don't even know what that means, Lord. Teach us what it means. Like, show us, show us. God, thank you for having conversations with us where we feel our powerlessness. That is not condemning. We are not stupid or we need not be insecure where we feel our own intellectual inability, God. That's where we get to say, thank you, God. This is a thing that you've taken care of. Now, will you just help me to trust that you've done it? I have such a reverence toward belief in you, Lord. There's such a reverence for humans trying to figure out life and how this works. And God, will you lead us as we try? Will we submit to your Holy Spirit as we try to understand you, God? I just want to say thank you, Lord, that your scripture, your scripture promises that the God of Exodus 34 is the God of John chapter 8, is the God of 2021. Thank you for being the same. Now help us to believe you're the same. Help us to join you in that eternal perspective. This is something we cannot do on our own. Holy Spirit alone lead. Humbly we ask. Humbly we ask. With no pride with no arrogance. We don't shake our fist at you saying, you better explain this. God, we help us to humbly come before you and listen and grow in our understanding of your beauty and your eternal nature. In Jesus' name, amen.